Hello, and welcome to another episode of Echopunks, recorded live in front of an automated audience. As Echopunks, we're interested in ecosystems, interested in technology, interested in politics, culture, economics. And these days, a lot of that, from an intersectional perspective, has been artificial intelligence. It seems to be touching all aspects of society. And while we generally come to it from the perspective of how does it impact democracy? How does it threaten democracy? I think today we're gonna to talk about how it empowers democracy and potentially empowers citizen advocacy. Um, I've got our usual crew of Echo Punks, but today we've got a special guest, uh, Steve Anderson, who uh, is involved in a startup called newmode.net, which I'm gonna ask Steve to talk about. But before we talk about new mode, before we talk about AI, uh, Steve, I'm, I'm really curious to ask you a kind of brief question, which there used to be these false debates about like in-person activism versus online activism. They used to sort of derogatorily call it slack activism, right, and, and try to, you know, marginalize sort of different efforts. D did you ever wrestle with that debate? Do you ever think that there is a, a distinction between sort of offline activism in terms of organizing in communities and doing, you know, civil disobedience and direct action versus the kind of policy and issues based and, you know, even identity based activism that has really flourished over the last couple of decades? Do you see it as an either or or is it one big tent that, you know, it's a matter of everyone sort of organizing and doing the kind of work that they need to do? Uh, yeah, I see this the latter. So um, it, it, it all matters and, and it works best when we do all of those things together. You know, we need to have a diversity of tactics. Um, we, we definitely need people to do offline actions, civil disobedience, um, disrupting people. Um, empower um, and we also need to take advantage of the digital tools that we have available that help us to raise our voice and deliver it to decision makers and just build like it's all about building power and relationships uh, in my mind and you can you can do that in offline you should um, but you should also use the digital tools to do that as well right on so where does AI come into this and and I say that because AI is, is such a catch-all Right. Like there's so many technologies that fall under the rubric of artificial intelligence. And and certainly the public discourse right now is 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 kind of vague and kind of hyped. So it's hard for people to really understand kind of what AI is in the sense that I think it's so subjective that every startup has its own conception of what AI is and how AI applies to the problem they're solving or the service they're offering or the product that they've developed. So I kind of want you to answer this, you know, in, as a twofold, but in the same question, what is AI to you and, and what role do you see it playing in, in politics and in democracy and advocacy, advocacy in general? Yeah, well, so um, you're totally right because there there's a lot of, different things under AI. There's, you know, kind of machine learning and algorithms and there's generative AI. Um, and so I see it as covering all of those things. And, um, and I, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of challenges and concerns with um, AI, like even just with, with algorithms and social media um, and generative AI as well. And, 
Um, I was watching a post you did recently on on data and technology being biased, which I completely um, agree with. And I also agree that that's a good thing. Um, and so I look at AI similar to um, all technology, which is like, how do we make it, given it can't be neutral, um, how do we make it so it's biased towards the public interest, the common good, um, you know, ch change for the betterment of all. Um, and, you know, in our case, at, at New Mode, you know, we're, we're thinking about how do we empower communities, individuals, organizations, you know, we work with organizations like Green Police and Planned Parenthood and those types of organizations. How do we um, embrace this new technology, um, provide it to them in a way that helps them um, make change for the better? Um, and so that, that that's how we're thinking about it. Um, and so like one thing that we've done for a while is, you know, if you're, um, doing an advocacy campaign um, for Greenpeace or just as an individual, um, our platform makes it so that we optimize social sharing. So it uses the algorithm so that um, when um, you're sharing that campaign on social media, you're doing it as effectively as possible. Where we wanna go with it is um, initially using um, machine learning to, um, uh, provide campaigners, advocacy campaigners with an impact score to help them understand if they're having an impact on policy or not, and to provide them with insights um, on how they can better run their campaigns to be to be more effective. So that that's it's kind of like in a way, because our focus is on helping um, cause based organizations and activists make change, like we're sort of already automatically biasing it um in in that way and that's always what we've done but um but there are definitely ways that we can be really thoughtful about how we we embrace the technology the vendors we use and things like that um as well and and i definitely want to talk a bit about the kind of media literacy work that i assume is part and parcel with that right as you help these organizations kind of understand what's capable what the options are but before we get there i'm, I'm curious as to whether there is uh, maybe adversarial is too strong a word, but whether there is a challenge in dealing with platforms, say like Twitter slash X, which is increasingly political unto itself and hostile often against, you know, progressive campaigns. But you sort of evoke the idea that part of what you're doing is trying to help, you know, campaigners, organizations really make the most of their communication efforts and dealing with the algorithms and, and the kind of networks that are out there. To what extent does that have to be a kind of information battle unto itself in terms of dealing with those algorithms that have become gatekeepers or in trying to get, say, Greenpeace members to all, you know, or, or share or repost or help, you know, kind of trigger the algorithm's logic in mobilizing these ideas and mobilizing these issues? Like, to what extent are is there not just uh, helping people use AI, but then helping people use AI to fight AI in terms of the way that social media is kind of playing out these days. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely part of it. So, I mean, we, so part of what our platform does is give, is, is give, you know, these campaigns, um, 
the ability to reach people and grow their community. Um, and, and part of that includes being able to grow their, their email community, which is a little more independent um, from, from, their, from the kind of social media giants and that. Um, but the, but there definitely is kind of a like, you know, how do we also help folks? So we, we help folks optimize like the content of their, of their campaigns, you know, what resonates um, in general when people land on a page, which is to some degree independent from the social media companies. But you're totally right. We're also engaging with um, helping them share on social media and and to a certain extent that means that um, you know how do we optimize for the the algorithms that we don't have control and how do we engage with with those and and it's that's definitely a struggle and I think we we've tried to make it so that our platform isn't you know dependent on those changes directly so we're not you know relying on the api of twitter or facebook we learned pretty early on that that's a bad idea because they just unilaterally change change those and shut people out and things like that um so we, so we engage at a distance but we still try to um enable people to optimize on, on those platforms because like that's where people are and you have to meet people where they are and as, as much as i would wish that everyone was on master dome or, or, or whatever, um, platform, um, that that's not where many, many people are, but, but it's definitely an issue. Like Facebook's utility for activism has definitely gone down because they are actively discouraging, um, political content. Right. Um, and so that, that's something that we, we have to, and the campaigners have to contend with. And as you said, Twitter has definitely changed its algorithm, uh, to be, um, more adversarial towards the types of change that many of our campaigners are, are working on. Well, and, you know, your point about email lists sort of being uh, a media distribution that these organizations can can own and control, to what extent uh, is there any appetite, you know, for a, a larger organization like a Greenpeace size having their own Mastodon server, right? And, and thinking about using these types of social platforms in their own quasi safe spaces or in their own ways of creating their own culture or creating their own kind of vibe in terms of the, the people that they're communicating with. Has there been any interest along those lines or is it still, to your point, going to where people are, going to where the public is and really trying to do the campaigning and advocacy work there? Yeah, I think there's definitely I would say most people are still focused on on meeting people where where they are, but there's definitely um, quite a few organizations that are experimenting. Um, like in, in the U.S., there's a bunch of different projects where people are trying to create their own kind of social networks or apps for activism. Um, those mostly like those have been tried a lot in the past and many of them have failed for various reasons. Um, what I do see happening a little more that I that I think is interesting is Masterdome is the um, like some groups doing exactly what you're saying, um, embracing that platform and experimenting with it. Uh, like Open Rights Group in the UK um, has been quite active and um, encouraging the sector really to 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 embrace that platform and test things out. So there's definitely some experimentation, but it's I think to a certain extent. The success of that depends on the success of the platform. You know, it's it, it's difficult to um, to to move your community to adopt something that isn't you know generally adopted.
Mm -hmm. Well, and on that point, I mean, to, to what extent is your work, both internally and with your, your clients and your constituents, uh, about a learning curve? Right. Both internally, as you guys sort of develop your capabilities and developing your offerings. But I also assume that, you know, education and media literacy is part of how you work with your clients and both so that they understand what you offer, but then so that they can leverage it and, and use it quite effectively. Can, can you talk about kind of how you approach that and what your strategy is in that context, again, both internally and externally? Yeah, part of it's part of it's media education. Um, I, I think a bigger part of it is just like campaign strategy ta and tactics. And, it, it, you know, those two things are pretty intermingled and almost the same thing. Um, but but we really, you know, from like the way the way new mode started was, uh, you know, I was running campaigns for a digital rights organization called Open Media. And we basically were like, um, we want to move people past just signing petitions. We want to we, we want to get them more deeply engaged, and that include some offline engagement, but also, you know, emailing members of parliament, getting people to call members of parliament, getting letters and and publications, reaching out on social media. And so we, um, along with a bunch of volunteers and and others, developed those tools and and had quite a bit of impact. And I I think part of the reason for that you know you know stopping harper's online spying bill along with many other or a coalition of organizations things like that part of part of that success was that those tactics were you know instead of like a performative petition we're actually delivering voices to decision makers but more importantly in some ways they were also growing people's depth of engagement and relationship with us and with each other um, and so it was more of a less of a kind of in, engagement and more about relationship building and movement building. And so what we try to do at New Mode is we, we try to encourage people to do that kind of multi-channel engagement, movement building, um, campaigning. And part of how we do that is the technology of providing those tools and making them really easy to use and optimize them. Um, but um, another, an, another part of it is, um, is providing train free trainings, webinars, um, you know, research reports, um, that we, we fairly regularly put out where, you know, we'll bring like, you know, so the sunrise movement is a quite successful climate organization in the U S and they're very good at, at measuring, um, uh, movement building. And so we'll host them for a webinar, um, that is, strictly about like how to how can we best do this kind of work and 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 embrace those types of strategies um and and so so that's a bigger part of our kind of our mission and mandate and you know it fits into kind of an ecosystem where you know if we're helping educate people and um train them up then um they'll probably look positively on us and and use our platform at some point um, um there's not like a direct line there but it feels like it's just part of our mission and it all fits together. So there's the technology and then there's the kind of training and free resources we provide. Well, and and to your point about open media, you know, it, it's interesting how one of the, the side effects of, of the work you guys did is there is a growing awareness now that Canadians have of telecom and telecom policy. Right. And, and the way in which telecoms in Canada, you know, have an outsized role on the politics and the economics, you know, th that didn't exist. 
right? Before open media yeah. did the campaigns that you guys did. Do you see a parallel with AI? Do you see a parallel in terms of, you know, as activists, as a, a progressive, especially, you know, we look at uh, the threat of a potential second Trump presidency, you know, do you see a, a kind of larger, to your point, skill set or, or kind of tactics that you guys are trying to develop and, and provide to your clients that, you know, acknowledges an increasingly political and increasingly contested, increasingly hostile political environment moving forward? Yeah, like I so um, I, I have no no formal role with open media besides being a, a, a supporter now. But, you know, I, I see like like the, the, they're engaging in the policy aspects of, of AI as part of, you know, they're, you know, in my day, we were working on net neutrality and and uh, various government spying privacy issues and copyright and those are still issues um, for sure, but um, but they're also focusing on the policy of AI, what regulation should we have, that sort of thing. And um, but yeah, to your point, like I I, I see new mode as helping um, those who want to build a better world care about various various issues um, uh, from individuals to organizations to um, understand and. Um, and effectively utilize technology um, for um, the, the the public benefit, and um, and that certainly include now includes AI. Before it was, you know, these kind of digital tools that I mentioned, these kind of click to call your representative. Um, but I think increasingly it's going to be how do we um, embrace AI because there's there's definitely a part of the kind of you know cause based community charities NGOs that. Um, that is, you know, this is a bad thing. Let's stay away from it. And and um, part of our role is to um, engage the, this kind of community of of people trying to make progressive change. And 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 say like that that it, from my opinion, our opinion, that's not the right answer here. Um, mm -hmm. um, we can't avoid it. We need to embrace it and try to shape it with how we embrace it. Um, shape what it what it should be um, so that it, it so that it is, um, you know, actually operating in our interest and isn't just controlled by by giant corporations. And that's why we um, recently um, put out a survey um, just as a small step of, of, of asking the question, like, how should we um, as a community um, of people doing advocacy and we as new mode? use this technology because that's the kind of question um that we should be asking in general of ai technology it shouldn't just be google or open ai making those decisions and controlling that well and, and to your earlier reference i do want to come back later to the diversity of tactics concept and and sort of how that plays out in in the ai world especially given the kind of uh anti-fascist uh, a spirit that is starting to come out. And and also I want to invite my fellow echo punks at any time to jump into the conversation with questions or comments. I, I'm curious, Steve, if you have a, a, from a business perspective, a sense of the competitive landscape, is there, 
any other outfits that you're looking at thinking, hey, they're kind of doing what, what we're doing, either uh, in the same sector, you know, let's say in the United States, or across the mm -hmm. political spectrum, right, in terms of like Ontario Proud and Jeff Bollingall and, you know, what he's doing kind of for the far right here in Canada. I mean, do you have a sense of the competitive space when it comes to AI and advocacy tools? Or is it something that's still so kind of young that uh, it's hard to get a sense of who else is out there because people are kind of doing their own thing? Yeah, the, the, there's definitely a lot going on in, in kind of AI and politics right now. Um, and th there's a lot of different projects that are that are focused on on you know tamping down or, or trying to address disinformation um and agromythic agromythic uh bias definitely couldn't get that out right but you know what i mean um uh, but there there's also um where i'm seeing it the most um is um is kind of on 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 messaging um and um and, and just automating communication so there's a ton of um of, of different startups in the u.s that are trying to make it easier to you know write your fundraising emails um write your advocacy emails um there's one startup called quiller that is focused just on 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 fundraising emails i think um there are others um that are that are focused on like um basically like reading the internet for you finding the issue that is top of mind and then writing your content and then you just review it and send it um so there's a lot of that kind of thing um th there's a whole um higher ground labs which is ex-obama um, people um that invest in um, political startups they have a whole progressive ai lab um uh just focus on this kind of thing so there's quite a lot going on um i'm a little concerned that quite a bit of it is on like just how do we make our work quicker and more automated um and and not as focused on like how do we use it to build real relationships and power and have impact? But I guess that, you know, that's what we're focused on. So, um, well, and, and that could be your differentiator, focus. right? That could mm -hmm. be the yeah. thing that you guys yeah. do differently is you kind of understand the culture and the politics, not just the technology. Jeanette, you wanted to jump in. Oh, there I did. Yes, I did. Um, because I thought this raised sort of an, in it reminded me of something that I thought was relevant. Um, seems like in this discussion of kind of tech support for the revolution, there's on one hand, the sort of utilitarian tasks, whether it's internal communications or it's automating letter writing, which, you know, is kind of an onerous but necessary part of campaigning. But on the other hand, what I've seen um, is some groups kind of drive in a more utopian direction. And the, the one I was most interested in was Black Socialists of America for years we're working on this dual power app and i was so curious well what is this what are they going to do with this of course what inevitably happened was you know last month they tweeted hey this project is indefinitely on hold due to organizational problems but we're putting the whole thing up on github we're open sourcing it so of course you know there's this you have to ask well you know, I want to see decentralization of these approaches, but on the other hand, they clearly didn't have the capacity 
to finish what they started, right? They, and whereas, you know, something uh, like what you have going, Steve, is, you know, there's a concentration of expertise, of experience that in the end allows you just to get more done than an individual group struggling to put together their own thing. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm sort of curious about, you know, potentials with, you know, would Black Socialists of America have benefited from reaching out to an organization like yours and saying, look, here's something we want to do. It's a little different from what you guys are doing, but, you know, can you help us out? Can you point us in the right direction? Is that something you guys do at all, or is that kind of off the playbook for you? Um, to, to a certain degree. So, so I mean, the the part of the origin story of, of New Mode is, you know, after we had had built a bunch of these these you know civic activism tools um, for our own work at Open Media, other organizations um, working on on climate, so David Suzuki Foundation, um, others um, working on on corporate power, like some of us um, started started reaching out to us saying, you know, like the people who are doing kind of advocacy campaigns are all watching each other and all have a little bit of FOMO all the time. Um, and, um, and so they started reaching out to me saying like, Hey, how, where'd you get those tools? How can we access them? Um, and initially, uh, you know, it, it was all built on open source. And so initially I was like, well, I'll just, uh, you know, it's open source code. I'll give it, we'll support you and having your own version, um, happy to help you, you know, here's the code, that sort of thing. Um, and they quickly were like, you know that's not helpful we don't know what to do with that um so that was the idea of where numo came out where it's like okay we should create like a hosted solution um that means that we don't all have to recreate the wheel we can all just share this toolkit together we throw in for a subscription fee it covers the costs and we can reinvest in and and having um more tools that people need and so so that's our origin um which ha has a similar logic and and, and going forward from there, like the way our platform has been shaped has been in discussion with our customers and community of like, what do you, what do you think is next? What will be helpful? What do you, what do you need? And, and, and definitely some of that has been like, Hey, I do this bespoke thing over here to like, you know, talk to, to, to email into um, public comment periods at the regulatory.gov thing you know, we're, we're investing in a bunch of developers to do that. And we're like, Hey, we can, let's bring this into new mode um, and make it a feature. So we, we've definitely done some of that. Um, I think as long as it, um, I think the question we would ask around something like that is, you know, does it fit with the, the kind of um, the general needs of the community that we're serving? Um, or is it more of a one-off? If it's kind of a one-off, then we probably, um, it's better for us to let someone else do that. But but if it fits with the needs of our community, if there are many others who need that same sort of service, then we, we would definitely take a look at it and, and, and considering, you know, consider putting it on our platform. Well, and, and to your point about a hosted solution, you're kind of taking the concept of cloud computing and turning it into cooperative computing. Right, in which you're creating yeah. shared resources that everyone then has a, a say or a, an ability to influence its direction. Sharita, you, you've got your hand up, please. 
You gotta unmute yourself though for us to hear you. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um that was that was really interesting um for me in that um some years ago I ran a number of workshops at U of T for the nonprofits we were working with um, in terms of research to really raise their ability to use media. And the one thing that you said that really rang true for me was to start where people were at, because I could, you know, come in and tell them all kinds of, you know, wonderful things that you could do with, um, you know, Twitter or with, at that point, Facebook, etc. But they all looked at me like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to play with those guys. Oh, no, 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 no. So it it's, I really appreciate that you're doing something um, that's more cooperative with nonprofits. Um, that being said, um, I'd like to ask who your um, customers are, who your community is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, so um, we serve. Um, cause-based organizations, nonprofits, and charities that do advocacy first first and foremost. Um, so that's like the Migrant Rights Network. Um, that's like Greenpeace, um, Planned Parenthood. Um, the, the, about roughly 600 organizations like that. Um, a lot in North America, but some in other countries like the UK and, and Australia as well, um, which is like really interesting in terms of how we can learn across different countries mm -hmm. um, together. Um, and um, the other thing that's more recent is, you know, we, we were having this problem of there, our platform is relatively accessible um, in, ter for, in terms of other advocacy solutions um, and in terms of how easy it is to use. Um, but it, it's still like for us to be sustainable previously it was like the lowest price plan was like a hundred dollars a month yeah. and there were many community groups obviously who can't afford that volunteer groups and we always and we've always struggled with that because we we want to serve those causes and so we would try to do these like different discount things we we at one point we had um a foundation and van, uh, van city credit union like subsidizing um those groups mm -hmm. for us so we could get them on the platform um but we we found a way now to make it so there's a free version of the platform um that is um so that means anyone who is aligned with our our values um can use the platform for free so there's individuals there's like you know people working on um promoting peace in the middle east right now in brampton and like emailing their city councilors to get past motions things like that um so so now our our community is basically um people who are trying to work towards the public good and and want to do um advocacy um in order to do that that's that's our our kind of broad community the one other thing i'll add to that is you might be wondering, like, how do we define that? Who's in, who's yes. there, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. uh, which is a, a good question um, and, a, and, a, and a difficult one. Um, but for for us, what we've done from the beginning is said, uh, we, we have these set of principles um, 
uh, and you you can't violate them. Um, if you do, you'll get kicked off the platform. Um, if we it, it, when there's a sign up process, um, we'll ask that you don't. And and at, sometimes someone will ask to use the platform, and we'll take a look and be like, you're not aligned with these principles. Um, and now anyone who signs up to use the platform, um, they have to look at a screen. It's not buried in the terms of service. It says you cannot do these things um, and you have to agree to that. Otherwise you may you, um, lose access to the platform, which actually like, like us being so upfront and direct with that mostly weeds out people um, in part because That's like, right. you know, if you're some far right, you know, organization, um, Nazi organization, whatever, um, and you start using new mode, like that takes time to put all that stuff together. And if we just then kick you off, that's not good for them either. So they kind of see the, they see the signal from our website okay. and generally are like, okay, hey, this is not a good thing for me to use. And, and the, the prints, I won't go through all of them, but the yeah. principles are like, you, you can't undermine minority or civil rights. You can't promote um, non-renewable resource extraction. Um, you can't promote warfare or colonization, things like that. So um, I have a question just relating to that. Are you aware of any competitors who are interested in that kind of business, who are looking to help people create disinformation or uh, promote sort of colonial narratives and, you know, support groups like the NRA. Are you aware of anyone who's on the opposite side of the political spectrum doing the same kind of work as you? Um, the, there's definitely more so in, in the US, it's like most things, it's, it's very, the political tech environment and market is very polarized. Um, uh, like there's a lot, and, and it, it's, we have a bit of a different approach from, from most of them. Most of them are like, will either serve Democrats or Republicans, and that's kind of their filter. Um, and we focus more on like, we have these principles, generally speaking, <laughs> um, they align with certain political parties, but um, it's about the principles. It's not about, you know, your allegiance to a, to a, to a political party. Um, so there's a lot, there's lots of um, Republican um, aligned organizations. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know of any that I'm, I'm sure they're out there that are explicitly like we're about disinformation. Um, I think they're more coded than that, but they provide the the tools to do that kind of thing. Um, uh, and it's more about who, you, who you're serving. Go ahead. And well, and on that point, I mean, you know, what, what strikes me as a slippery slope on the generative media side is you know one person's legitimate propaganda is another person's disinformation and you know certainly uh, i want to see the left i want to see progressive causes empowered uh with the propaganda tools that ai offers is there a line right is and and this kind of gets to the diversity of tactics stuff right and and i think the conflict uh, uh, in gaza is a good example of this because there are so many voices across the political spectrum offering competing narratives. Do you feel that new mode, you know, your point about the principles, I think is really a smart and sound, but you know, to Murley's point, is there a line when it comes to using media as propaganda? Is there a line in terms of 
what you guys would decide is or is not disinformation when maybe, you know, Steve Bannon starts going, oh, Greenpeace is putting out disinformation about fossil fuels. Don't they know how clean shale gas is, right? Like it, it is the concept in and of itself is so politicized. Do you feel that that is something that you guys have to think about when it comes to the way in which how people use your platform that maybe earnestness is no longer a central aspect of activism in an era when sensationalism gets clicks. Yeah, I think, you know, our, our we just focus on on those on like are they operating within these these general principles and I think like you, you know, I I definitely take your point of like you know it's a, it's all this stuff is subjective um and and certainly you know um uh folks in the the, the conservative government will um accuse organizations that use our platform of of, of misrepresenting things um maybe even of, of embracing um disinformation i think for for us like as long as it's not, um, you know, as long as it's not violating those principles, like if you're, then um, it's, then it's fine on our, our platform. I think where, where we would draw a line is, is if there is, is, is very clear kind of manipulation. Um, but I, but I, I think that's really case by case, you know, like it, it, it cause, cause as I think you've said, like, it's it's a murky line, you know. What 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 is manipulation? What is just being an effective communicator? Um, I haven't seen anything on our platform that um, that I think is moving into that space of that I that we would consider manipulation or undermining people's free will and dignity. But um, but certainly that with with AI, um, I think that's something we need to be thinking about like so far the way that we are utilizing AI um, it doesn't support that kind of use case of kind of manipulating people um, in that kind of like really sophisticated way with algorithms it's a little more more I think more basic and more about like you know what gets you know, a decision maker to pay attention to an email that comes into their their inbox that sort of thing so I think that's you know, I think that's part of why we wanted to ask that question, the, a, a set of questions in a survey to our community, because um, th this is a space we're moving into and we don't want to, you know, be caught up blindsided by these sorts of questions, you know, and and, and so we want to make like right now, I feel very confident that we're um, operating in a good way in terms of how we're using AI and technology in general and what we're supporting. Um, but I think you know, there's definitely decisions we could make that could open us up to to some more challenges there. And we want to be careful with that. Well, and and what about the cybersecurity side? Because, you know, the other thought I kept having in this is is the kind of all the eggs in one basket that, you know, the, the consequence of building a successful platform is if you do have, you know, a critical mass of uh, citizen groups in the English speaking world, sort of e e e using your tools effectively, 
then in theory, you become a target, right? Of either saboteurs or people who want access to the campaign data or might, to our point about disinformation, manipulate the campaign to embarrass uh, uh, one of your clients or one of your community members. So to what extent is cybersecurity part of both the literacy work that you do, right? Because these organizations need to understand their role, but also the way you think about your system and the way in which you design your system. Yeah, so I mean, we, we 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 definitely encourage our customers to to you know embrace um, you know data hygiene, data security um, processes and practices as much as possible. To to a certain extent, that's you know a responsibility on them, but we definitely try to encourage them to to do the right thing there and put enough focus on that. Um, where we put more attention is on on our responsibilities as a platform, um, and so we, we're just really careful with um, data hygiene, data security. Um, you know, the, the, our, our CTO could probably speak more elegantly on that, but it's definitely been from the start um, one of our key focus in terms of how we um, embrace in encryption and uh, in all of our databases and and um, two-factor authentication. Um, and um, like even just like, as you probably know, like a lot of it comes down to practices. And so we have like regular team training on security um uh you know don't don't put um don't put anything on an external hard drive or a data key and um i say that because like a lot of the government um breaches haven't been like super sophisticated it's been like some external drive that um that was left somewhere you know um so we have so we have those kind of trainings but also um regular um uh, just like breach response training, going through scenarios, things like that. So it's just something that we we put a lot of attention on, both our practices and just the the, the technologies we deploy. But it's, it's super important because you're totally right. Like it's uh, you know we facilitated 80 million messages to government decision makers, and certainly there's um, that that data in the wrong hands um, could 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 do some damage. So that's something we take really seriously. Mm -hmm. Now, David, did you have your hand up? You got to unmute first, though. Okay. There you go. Yeah, so, um, Steve, thanks for sharing um, new mode with us. I'm, I'm, I'm um, trying to understand, uh, you know, how AI um, integrates with that, with, with new mode. And um, so I was going to ask um, if you could give a, a concrete example of um, the way in which you uh, engaged AI in the service of, say, an organization like Greenpeace. So, um, sure. you know, I'm thinking one is to be scraping data, of maybe from geographic um, uh, data sets to let you know where things are in oceans. Another piece would be um, knowing, uh, you know, what people are saying about um, about and uh, what they're thinking about um, um, Greenpeace by, you know, putting together, looking at the language usage and language structures, and then knowing how to form a message. So, being able to, uh, you know, identify the number of clicks to a particular wording as opposed to another wording, and informing. Um, 
a uh, uh, so that's one question. And if you yeah. could answer that, I have another one too. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, so right now, it, most of what we pretty much all of what we do is in that last bucket. Um, I'll say sentiment analysis is something we're quite interested in in terms of like tracking the impact of campaigns. We, we haven't gone down that um path yeah like what one thing we do that isn't necessarily ai but is kind of interesting is we make it easy for um for people to submit letters to local papers and so you can have a supporter a greenpeace supporter put in their postal code write a letter and it'll go to all their local papers based on their postal code and then we have something that tracks that letter is ever published and then it notifies the campaigner um, when that letter is published. So not AI, but it is sort of like getting closer to that sentiment analysis side. Um, what we currently do, I'll talk about what we currently do and what we're about to do. So what we currently do is um, when, so when someone takes a civic action on our platform, um, and this is common with other platforms too. Um, so after they email their member of parliament, um, our platform will, encourage you to share it on social media or email with your friends to help grow the campaign. Now, how you do that matters quite a bit. And so like the image that is shared on, on say Facebook, the text that is shared on Facebook, that stuff is really important. Um, and so what we do is we let the campaigner pick three different images. So let's say it's about US democracy. There'll be one with Trump, you know, there'll be one that they'll pick where it's like, um, you know, the, the White House in dark color. Um, there's another one that might show people being joyous um, of saving democracy. Um, and they'll, they'll select those ones and our system will automatically um, A-B test all, all of those combinations of images and text and, and it will find the one that gets shared the most often. And then it will just share that one going forward. And every now and then it will check to see if that is still the, the, the best option for sharing. So it sort of optimizes campaigns for social sharing. So that's what we do right now. Okay. What we're planning, oh, go ahead. Okay, no. so what we're planning yeah. to do in, in the next little bit is um, three things. One is an advocacy impact score. So um, using an amalgamation of, of several pieces of data will be, will tell, this is just in like a couple of weeks, we'll tell campaigners if a campaign is, um, is um, impactful or not. Um, so that's looking at things like number of supporters, level of personalization, campaign sharing rates, responses from decision makers. So telling me if a campaign is impactful or not based on all those data points. And that's from us doing running a machine learning model um, to to find which campaigns are are more effective based on those 80 million messages to government decision makers. So giving them an AI driven impact score. And the second thing is um, is insights and kind of like a recommendations engine, which is more most connected to what you you said the last thing you said, which is um, so you know we know that if a campaign is a thousand words on its landing page or 250 words, the 250 word one will get more people to take action. Um, the thousand words is overwhelming for people. So we'll have a bunch of recommendations on like 
the kind of text you use, um, how long that text is, you know, how your campaign is designed, and we'll have, and, and that's partially um, driven from um, analysis that that use machine learning. So that, so that's basically what we've done and what we're about to do. Yeah. yeah. I have a follow-up question that's maybe a, a little facetious, but um, I'm wondering, I'm not sure how large your organization is. It sounds as if it's large-ish in terms of human resources, and it sounds as if you have a, a, an administrative structure and a you know um, decision-making structures and so on and so forth. I'm wondering, have you used AI to inform the structure of your business? That's interesting. Um, we're not a huge company, but we're not like a brand new startup. We, we have about 17 people who work for, for New Mode. Um, we haven't used AI to inform our structure. Um, we, like many people, watch the open AI saga. <laughs> we're like, um, we can learn some lessons from that. Um, but we, ha we haven't deployed AI technology in terms of um, how, how we govern AI mode so we're, or how we're, we're, we're structured. So at the moment, we, um, we try to be as kind of transparent as possible. And um, internally, we use the advice model for teal organizations in terms of how we, we work together in a participatory fashion. Um, and we have a, you know, a, a traditional board. Our, um, our ownership is kind of interesting in that we are owned by a network of um, impact investors, um, current staff um, have, have shares and options, um, and um, uh, nonprofit philanthropies and um, some of our nonprofit customers. So we're kind of a, 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 a kind An of mission-driven yeah, ecosystem of things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm conscious Thank that you. we're almost out of time, but Sharita, you wanted to jump in real quick. I did. And um, you probably answered part of the question. Um, right at the bottom of your webpage, it says socially responsible business. And um, I guess I want, and, and your link doesn't work there. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask, um, what is your idea of a socially responsible business? And I'll, I'll be really upfront. It's, um, it, it has in the past been a, a major research, uh, project of mine to look at social purpose businesses. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, and thank you for flagging the broken link. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> a little bit embarrassing, but helpful. Um, uh, so the way the way that we define socially responsible business for so, so that's in terms of um, the customers that we serve, and um, almost all of our customers are nonprofits and charities, but we will serve businesses. And, and basically, you know, our, our definition of that is they have to abide by the principles of our platform. Um, so we keep it kind of simple. I, I know that that term can mean a lot of things. And mm -hmm. in, in some ways, it's no signifier. And that's probably that's why you're asking the question, probably. Mm -hmm. But, um, but that that's how we think of it. And we, and we focus on 
um, primarily on like, how are they using the platform versus like, like we don't have the resources to like investigate all the, all the practices that um, are ways that a, that a company will operate outside of our platform. So just as a tangible example, one company that has used our platform is, is tech savvy, which is an independent uh, internet service provider that um, I collaborated on various um, digital rights campaigns um, back when I was at Open Media, um, and so they'll, they'll use the platform around um, competition in the ISP market, getting wholesale rates um, to be lower, um, things like that, which is totally aligned with our our principles and values. So, so that are, that's that's how. Are you a socially um, responsible business? Well, we do. so by that definition, definitely we operate. Um, aligned with those those principles that we set out, and uh, and we have and we have a broader set of principles, and I think an ownership model that um, that I think keeps us as a as a socially responsible business. Yeah, sure. you yeah. you talked about your ownership model, um, you know, model, and yes, you know, it it does fit within that. So, um, given that, do you then? Um, assess um, your social return on investment. Social, okay. So, so um, by that you mean when we when we invest in something in our company, like say we we're investing in some AI technologies. What what is the the social return on that? Well, it 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 actually All means more more than that. It um yeah. it includes um you know what you've said before that you know you're not owned by one person. Um, it it talks to a multiple uh, bottom line. So like, not right. only uh, make a profit, but let's say, are you environmentally responsible? Are you a well, democratic and, workplace, et cetera? And, and if I could interrupt mm -hmm. just because we are out of time and I'm, okay. I'm conscious of Steve's time, I think to use as an example, the algorithmic impact score, right, could be a way to measure that, that you could say, you know, a year after implementing it, our partners, our community members have increased their effectiveness in their campaigns by X percent. And we consider right. that to be one of our bottom lines. Yes. That in addition to actually being right. able to pay for our servers and our staff, we can prove that we are impacting public policy in a positive way. And I think, is that what yep. you sort of mean, Sharita? Yeah, there there are all kinds of ways of describing it depending on the organization. But yes, that's a an excellent example. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, so so we so um so right now, um uh, I think there's definitely we definitely aspire to deepen this part of our operation, but but right now you know, because we facilitate only campaigns that are aligned with those principles I mentioned, um, we we measure when we have volume on the platform, you know, so we, you know, 20, 20 million messages, government decision makers, that is part of our return on investment and, and part of our, bottom, our triple bottom line is we're like facilitating voices for change in an impactful way. How, how much of that are we doing um, on a quarterly annual basis? And that's something that we look at 
uh, regularly. The other thing that we do um, that is more qual qualitative, but um, mm -hmm. we want to make this quantitative over time is just policy impact. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're always looking at our the organizations using our platforms and the campaigns and, and looking to see when they have victories. So $10 a day childcare campaign started with us years ago. Um, uh, that's something like that policy win. Now, you know, we had it in, we won it in BC um ten dollar day campaign in bc ran for for years and eventually won that and then now it's a federal program um and there there are a bunch of different organizations labor organizations and others that use our platform um and so that policy impact which like you know, obviously will affect millions of people including those who are most um oppressed in our society um, that's something that we 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 measure, but it, it's at the moment pretty qualitative. Like we just yeah. monitor and look for the policy wins. Right on. Thank you. Anyway, I, I thank you, Steve, well, for taking the time to chat with us. I think this has been a really interesting conversation that, to your point, helps us understand how we can use these tools with the values and the politics that we desire rather than assuming these tools have to be used for corporate purposes or have to be used for greed purposes or disinformation purposes. So I think as a literacy exercise, uh, uh, this conversation was really uh, empowering. And I hope people listening, if they'd like to learn more about New Mode, they can check out newmode.net. And any other final words that you want to leave us with, Steve? Uh, no, I just want to thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation and, and like digging into uh, th these topics, um, I think is so important right now. And, and it's something that we talk about internally quite a bit of like, you know, how should we use these technologies? How can we empower people? Where do we draw these lines? Um, so yeah, just thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed the, the discussion. Right on. Our pleasure.